Pastor Xavier Reese explains victory in the gospel comes by surrendering of yourself. The whole world is so afraid of, oh, I give my life to Jesus, you'll mess it up. No, 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 your life is messed up. Your life is lost, it's not found. In Matthew 16, 24-25, Jesus lays it out without any pretense. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will find it. Welcome to Simple Truths, the daily half-hour study of God's Word with Xavier Reese, Senior Pastor of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. What's meant by the saying, there are no atheists in a foxhole, is simply that when you're in danger and you're out of options, it's time to finally turn to God. And that's the pinch that confronted the nation of Judah, who felt so entirely helpless against the threat of a Babylonian captivity. They pleaded with the prophet Jeremiah for God's intervention. And coming up, Pastor Xavier uses their predicament to warn us that due to God's ultimate and righteous judgment, His free gift of salvation isn't necessarily an offer for an unlimited time. Let's join him beginning with the text for today's Simple Truth Study. Jeremiah chapter 21, and we're going to do all 14 verses. It's a short chapter. And the message entitled, Judgment is Always Reluctant. Many people have the idea that God delights in judging people for their evil. And somehow, this is his favorite pastime. But on the contrary, God is so patient, so loving towards the sinner that we should be embarrassed at any charges against him of such nature. The doom of the king in the city of Jerusalem is characterized by three messages. You have verse 1 through 7, the message of doom to Zedekiah. Then the message of doom to the people in verse 8 through 10. And last, the message of doom to the house of David, verses 11 through 14. The same message, it's unified, and it addresses each individual specifically. Notice, first of all, verse 1 and 2. The word of Yahweh came to Jeremiah. The occasion was when King Zedekiah sent two men to Jeremiah. The first of these two men is named Pashur. The second man, Sephaniah, he was a successor of Jehoiada the priest. He's second to the high priest who read to Jeremiah in chapter 29, accusing Jeremiah of discouraging the people because Jeremiah was saying, Mary, build houses. Hey, you're going to be there for a while. The false prophet was saying, no, no, no. So he writes a letter and sends it to this guy, Sephaniah, to rebuke. Why haven't you stopped Jeremiah? Notice in verse 2, the purpose of their inquiry was to see if Yahweh would deliver them from Nebuchadnezzar. And you're going to find different spellings of Nebuchadnezzar. Don't get freaked out. There's different uh, forms to write his name. Okay, you'll find them <laughs> differently. You see, they kept rejecting God's word, but, but things kept getting worse and worse and hotter and hotter. And, and finally they said, okay, well, let's go to Jeremiah. We've got no choice. The interesting thing is that Zedekiah and all the leaders were rejecting the word of Jeremiah, opposing Jeremiah personally. And now... They're coming to seek the Lord through Jeremiah, listen, for personal benefit. So, Jeremiah has a predicament here. But see, he doesn't have to make the call. 
Because God's word came to him because God knew they were coming. And God knew why they were coming. Okay? How many times people come to God only when they are in trouble? It's man's nature. He is the emergency God. The one who can be used. The one who will be patient with us. He's the one that that understands who we are, as I said earlier. And so this rationale only undergirds our continual lifestyle of ungodliness and our deception of sin. But then when he saw what he was sacrificing, he wanted it back. When he was older, he couldn't have it. And there are a lot of people who, who cry and they regret what has happened. But their insincere repentance, it's, it's only tears for getting busted or tears for the consequence. It's not tears for the sin that's against God. There's a difference. God does all he can. And when a person keeps refusing to repent, there only remains the awesome words, prepare to meet your God, as Amos says, to the people of the north. Amos says, listen, this is what God says. I, I, I let it rain here. And you just went somewhere else to get water. I only let it rain in parts of the place and not in others so that you know it's me. But you shined it on. And he goes on. I did this. You didn't repent. I did this. You didn't repent. This is finally all about seven or eight things. You didn't repent. So then he says, prepare to meet your God. Now, you are not prepared, nor I, to meet my God apart from Jesus Christ. He's a consuming fire. He's the epitome of holiness. Ezekiel 18.32 says, For I have no pleasure in the death of the one who dies, or the death of the wicked in other parts, says the Lord. Therefore, turn and live. This is God's heart. Peter, in his second epistle, chapter 3, verse 9, says, The Lord is not slack concerning his promise, as some men count slackness, but is long-suffering towards us, not willing that any should perish, but that all should come to repentance. There's the heart of God. But when people keep rejecting it's judgment. This was the message of doom to Zedekiah. It was done. He moves to the message of doom to the people in verses 8 through 10. Notice first in verse 8, the proclamation of Jeremiah to the people is given. The prophet Jeremiah was to preface his message by thus saith the Lord. God in His mercy was giving the people less than they deserve. He wanted them to know that this was God's word. And that He was patient with them because He should have brought judgment long before. He's still speaking to them. God in His long suffering was giving the people one more opportunity. Even though He knew they were not going to take it. The prophet was to declare that Yahweh was setting before them the way of life and the way of death. Life would seem to be the right choice in view of their situation, don't you think? By the way, Moses declared the same words in Deuteronomy 39.11. I give you life and death this day. Choose. Now notice secondly in verse 9. The explanation of the proclamation is also given. The prophet was to tell them that the individual who remained in the city would die by the sword, the famine, and the pestilence. The three manner of death were the normal results of war. Those caught by the Babylonians would be slain by the sword. 
Those who held out in the city would starve to death. In fact, we've already seen that they would eat their children. And Lamentations records that also. Horrible thing. Those remaining would fall prey to the disease from the carnage. Because with disease, it spreads into other diseases. Now, they are repeated often through the book, these things. The sword, the famine, and pestilence. Notice the prophet was also to tell them that if the individual went out and defected to the Chaldeans who besieged them, he would live and his life would be a prize to him. Now, the counsel goes against all reason, but it was not contrary to reason in view of who was stating the conditions. You see, it, it makes a difference who tells you what to do. If you're, you just got on a plane at LAX and you're going to go view the Sangiro Valley up there and, you know, it's one of those small planes and you're looking at it and the guy goes, hey, jump. Well, it, it, it's not reasonable to jump. You don't have a parachute or anything else. But if you're up in one of those little planes and you're taking parachute lessons and you're tandem hooked up with your, your instructor and he says, okay, let's jump, then, you know, it's reasonable. You're hooked up. So it all depends who's speaking to you. When God is saying, go out to the Chaldees, It's reasonable. Though in their mind it may not be. It's the most reasonable thing to do. The key word is the word but. It marks the sharp contrast between the two opinions. There's a word but. Notice thirdly in verse 10. The revelation of God against the people also given. Yahweh had become the enemy of Jerusalem. His commitment is marked by his words. For I have set my face against this city. He's committed. The intent is clear by Yahweh, by his words, for adversity and not for good, says the Lord. You want God to work for you, not against you. Because you can't stand against God, nor I. Yahweh had pronounced his verdict. Listen, he named the instrument of his judgment. It shall be given into the hands of the king of Babylon. You remember we studied Isaiah? He said that Assyria was the rod of his wrath. And they went farther than God allowed them to. So he judged them. This is the rod of God's wrath now, Babylon. And he would judge them afterwards. He stated the the severity of his judgment. And he shall burn it with fire. In the scriptures, fire many times represents God's judgment. In fact, the... Valley of Hinnom, Tophet, we covered in chapters past, where they dedicated their children to Molech and burned them there, uh, offering them to them. It was a city dump. And Jesus used that in the New Testament to say that it is like the lake of fire, Gehenna, where the worm never dies and the fire is never quenched. You and I as Christians will go before the Bema Seat of Christ and our work will be judged by the fire to find out the motive and the intent of why we did the things we did. And we will get rewarded or suffer the loss. The non-believer at the end of the thousand years will go before the white throne judgment. And they will be cast into the lake of fire. So fire is symbolic of judgment often through the scriptures. As you know, literally, he burned the city with fire. Wisdom is personified in the opening chapters of the book of Proverbs. If you've ever read it. She is personified as a wisdom, as a woman, wisdom. And she's running through the streets and the gates, trying to turn the simple and foolish young man. 
Over and over again, he rejects her. Her final warning was that because of his rejecting of her, his disregard, his disdain for her, that one day, because he just continued to reject her rebuke, one day he would call out upon her and she would laugh. She would mock him at his calamity and she would not answer. Jesus said, wisdom is justified over children. In other words, you will be able to take inventory of your own life as you live in Christ 10, 15, 20 years. And you're going to be able to look back and find out if you lived your life in the wisdom of God or in the wisdom of, you put your name there. It'll be very, very evident. Whether you lived as a child of God or whether you still are upon the throne. Whether you're still a Zedekiah. You'll be able to see that. Nobody will have to tell you. You'll be able to see that. The same options of choosing between life and death are given to every person today. As it has throughout the age of grace and will continue so. Jesus sent his disciples out to the lost sheep of the house of Israel and told them that he came to divide. And that's what happens. If you're for Jesus, then people are going to be against you. And when you choose for Jesus, you literally aren't for others. In fact, he said, he who finds his life will lose it, and he who loses life for my sake will find it. Matthew 10, 39. The whole world is so afraid of, oh, I give my life to Jesus, he'll mess it up. No, 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 your life is messed up. Your life is lost, it's not found. In Matthew 16, 24 to 25, Jesus lays it out without any pretense. If any man desires to come after me, let him deny himself, take up his cross and follow me. For whoever desires to save his life will lose it. But whoever loses life for my sake will find it. I'm so glad I came to the Lord when I was 23 years of age. Looking back, I thank him so much. I wish I would have been saved when I was 11 or 12. <laughs> but that's up to the Lord. But I'm so glad. Because I was lost. But I thought I was okay. And if I compare myself to many others, I was pretty good. I was going a certain direction. I was going to school and I had my head together. I partied this and that. But you know, I wasn't controlled this and that. I was deceived. Jesus said to a man wanting him to divide the inheritance between him and his brother, Take heed and beware of covetousness. For one's life does not consist in the abundance of the things he possesses. Luke twelve fifteen. You see, the whole world is trying to amass all kinds of things to demonstrate, this is life, this is living. Or constantly going off on the weekend, and they think that's life, and you drive this type of car, you drive... Now, nothing wrong with all those things in and of themselves. But if you're concluding that this is what life is all about, you missed the boat. The explanation of the consequences are revealed clearly. The invitation is in John 3.16. For God so loved the world... That he gave his only begotten son, that whoever believes in him should not perish, but have everlasting life. Whosoever. There's the invitation. The explanation is in the following verse. For God did not send his son into the world to condemn the world, but that the world through him might be saved. So there'd be no misunderstandings. And the revelation of God is a clear decision. It is found in the following verse of John 3, verse 18. He who believes in him is not condemned, but he who does not believe is condemned already 
because he has not believed in the name of the only begotten Son. There's only one option. There's only one decision that can save you. If you don't take that, you're condemned already. In fact, at the close of chapter 3 of John, verse 36, it says, He who believes in the Son has everlasting life, and he who does not believe in the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abides in him. There's no other option. But God's not willing to settle for that. And so he closes his Bible in Revelation 22, 17, with the invitation all over again. And the Spirit and the Bride says, Come. And, the, and let him who hears say, Come. And let him who thirsts come. Whoever desires, let him take the water of life freely. Whoever. This was the message of doom to the people that they had rejected. Over and over again. He finishes off with the message of doom to the house of David. Verse 11 through 14. First, verse 11 through 12, the social injustices were her way of life. The message is more than to the royal house, for no king is mentioned. So it's not just to the one present, but to all of them. Some attempt to make this Zedekiah, but there's nothing listed here. So it's to the whole house. Uh, Josiah was the only good king. Then you have Jehoiahaz, Jehoiakim, Jehoiachim, and now Zedekiah. The throne note is identified by the Davidic line and called to hear. Hear the words of the Lord in order to obey. Whenever the Bible says hear, it's to obey, not simply to exercise your ear. It's to make an obedient stand. The proclamation opens with the expression of a broken heart. Oh, house of David! That's a cry of a broken heart. Oh, house of David! It's not a smack of the lips. It's not a satisfaction. Okay, you're really going to get it now. The specifics are two. Execute judgment in the morning. The administration of justice was to be diligent, constant, day by day. The implication being, it wasn't. They're ripping people off. And deliver him who is plundered out of the hand of the oppressor. The three imperatives, hear, execute, and deliver, are in the masculine plural forms, addressing all in the authority who were abusing their authority and power in the royal house. This always happens after a while. No exception on every level in this world. The reason was, lest my fury go forth like fire and burn so that no one can quench it. The indictment was clear because of the evil of your doing. Notice that the pride of Judah was the source of her life. Verse 13 and 14. Yahweh was not for Judah. Behold, I am against you, inhabitants of the valley. Yahweh exposes Judah's pride in the location of the city of Jerusalem. Paints a picture here. A rock of the plain, says the Lord, who says, Who shall come down against us? Or who shall enter our dwelling? Proud. In your bank account? Your job security? Let's try your health. <laughs> Yahweh answers that he would return to Judah. Listen, in kind. What you sow is what you reap. Verse 14, he would punish her according to the fruit of her doings, says the Lord. The word but marks again the sharp contrast between Judah's pride of not being defeated and the certainty of her defeat. He would destroy her completely. I will kindle a fire 
in its forests, and it shall devour all things around it. Here's another play on words around it. Remember Pashur of chapter 20, he changed his name to fear all around. Now the people will be fear all around. Satan was the anointed cherub, the seal of perfection, full of wisdom and perfect in beauty. And then he was lifted up in his heart because of pride, because of his beauty, and he corrupted his wisdom, Ezekiel 28 tells us. The rebellion in heaven was because of pride. The rebellion of man against God is because of pride. It's the same. Those who are in authority have the greatest responsibility, as Jesus said, to those that much is given, much is required in Luke twelve forty eight. The injustices by judges who release criminals, knowingly, they will have to give an account to God one day for how they judged. The lawyers who know they're defending guilty individuals and see nothing wrong with getting them off. And they see court cases, nothing but chess games. Johnny Cochran said, justice is not black or white, it's green. Interesting. Politicians who abuse their authority to rob the people, to enrich themselves, they will give an account to God. Pride goes before destruction, a haughty spirit before the fall, Proverbs sixteen eighteen says. In fact, earlier, Jeremiah in chapter 13, verse 17 through 18 said, But if you will not hear it, my soul will weep in secret for your pride. My eyes will weep bitterly and run down with tears because the Lord's flock has been taken captive. Say to the king and to the queen mother, humble yourselves, sit down, for your rule shall collapse the crown of your glory. Jeremiah with broken heart. He's called a weeping prophet. Oh, we should learn from him. The number one sin that God hates is pride. Proverbs 6, 16 through 19 says, Six things the Lord hates. Yes, seven are an abomination to him. Number one, a proud look. A lying tongue. Hands that shed innocent blood. A heart that devises wicked plans. Feet that are swift to running to do evil. A false witness who speaks lies. And one who sows discord among the brethren. Those sins are prevalent in the church. They destroy the church. More than adultery, fornication, and anything else. Listen to some of the Proverbs on pride. Proverbs 8.13 says, The fear of the Lord is to hate evil. Pride and arrogance and the evil way and the perverse mouth I hate. Proverbs 11.2 When pride comes, then comes shame. But with the humble is wisdom. Proverbs 13.10 by pride comes nothing but strife, but with the well-advised is wisdom. Proverbs 14.3 In the mouth of the fool is a rod of pride, but the lips of the wise will preserve them. Proverbs 21.24 A proud and haughty man, scoffer is his name. He acts with arrogant pride. This was the message of doom to the house of David. A proud house. The doom of the king and the city of Jerusalem was characterized by these three simple messages. The message of doom to Hezekiah, the message of doom to the people, and the message of doom to the house of David. Now do you think it's applicable for us today? <laughs> Absolutely. What great lessons for us. May God minister to our hearts and may we yield to his obedience. 
Pastor Xavier Reese, illustrating the counteracting good news of the gospel of Jesus Christ, is able to trump God's judgment for those that repent. Before we sign off for today, let me quickly mention that copies of this Simple Truth study titled, Judgment is Always Reluctant, are available on CD for only $4, which, by the way, will also include everything Pastor Xavier shared the last time we were together as well. So it'll make a great personal study tool that you can share with others when you're through. And that title to ask for once again is, Judgment is Always Reluctant. Or you could just mention today's date as well. Now you can make your request by writing, Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. Or to make your request by phone, call 800-926-1485. Again, that's 800-926-1485. Or the address once again is Simple Truths, 2200 East Colorado Boulevard, Pasadena, California, 91107. And thanks for mentioning the call letters of this station when you get in touch. This helps us track the effectiveness of this ministry in your area. And then be back for more Simple Truths right here next time with Pastor Xavier Reese. Simple Truths with Pastor Xavier Reese, a daily half-hour broadcast, is a radio ministry of Calvary Chapel of Pasadena, California. www.calvarychapelpasadena.com